This is the Rocky Mountain Review Podcast. I am your co-host, Gabe Peterson. And I'm your other co-host, Julia Batalise. This is the Rocky Mountain Review, the live news show that airs 4 to 5, Tuesday and Thursday, on KCSU that is turned into a podcast. And this is what you missed this week. I'm Julia Batalise. And I'm Gabe Peterson. And you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. And welcome to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Gabe Peterson. I am one of two co-hosts here at the Rocky Mountain Review. I am joined in studio, as always, with my co-host. How are you doing, Julia? I am good. Better nice. than Better than ever. Yeah? Um, <laughs> totally. Um, we also have Jasmine Cooper in the studio today. Hello. Hello. Um, Hi. She's from the Black African American Cultural Center. Um, we'll be talking about real talks with her in just a little bit. We also have Raven Color in the studio today. She's one of our wonderful reporters. Um, does a wonderful job read- reading, writing for us, um, and now gets to be on air with us today. Um, so thank you for coming on. Um, we're going to really quickly go through what we have coming up to, on the show today. We have local stories such as the Pallet River Power Authority buying a wind farm here for Fort Collins. We have the Husk Power System coming in. Uh, a lot of energy stories, actually, today. A lot of them, yeah. Um, we also have the Colorado Governor, John Hickenlooper, releasing a plan for electric cars. Um, and we also have a manhunt going on in Adams County, I believe. Yes. Um, that's going to be all for local. We also have sports coming up. R- coming up right after that then followed by national and global news we have um isis there's 150 members that were killed um tsunami warning for alaska as well as the u.s gymnastics teams and larry nasser and what's going on all over there <laughs> i know yeah so much is going Full on over show. There. <laughs> we also have um a science segment coming up today um for oh, do do remind me what the it is the school of global environmental sustainability which we will be playing uh every thursday on the show so yes it's going to be a weekly reoccurring theme yep and they are also doing the friday newscast that comes up on at 3 p.m on fridays as yep. well yep um we also will have a music segment coming up later um with our good uh podcast director cheyenne new podcast new podcast i know Congratulations. Congrats. Um, and we'll have the weed segment with Dylan Simonson, as per usual, later. And then we'll finish up the show with your favorite segment, weather, uh, with Gabe Peterson. Ooh, weather. The best meteorologist in the entire uh, world. Yes, thank uh, you very Some much. would say galaxy, but we're rules <laughs> out right now. So anyway, we're going to jump right into the interview with Jasmine. Um, for those who don't know what Real Talk is, can you give us just an idea of what it generally looks like? Um, yes. Like that. So Real Talk is a weekly occurring thing. It occurs every Tuesday. Um, and Real Talk is basically just a space that was established for students, by students. Um, and it's a space where we can come together and build community as well as to foster critical dialogue about political, economic, and social issues um, that impact that impact, sorry, <laughs> impact the black and African-American community at CSU and the world at large. Um, and... So, yeah, we just get together and we talk about, you know, different topics. Now, Jasmine, is this uh, is this strictly for CSU students or is this kind of like an open public forum type deal? Um, So it is an open public forum, but we really do push to get our students in that space just Mm. because it is the student voice that matters at that point. You know, we're the ones that are on campus that go to school with each other. And so at that point, it's very important that we get students in that space. But it is open. It's very open. Okay. <laughs> I mean, members can come. 
Um, so are there different topics like every week or how do you guys figure that one out? Yes. So um, we actually sit down and think about different topics that students may want to talk about. Sometimes we take suggestions about topics. Um, a couple of the topics that we have talked about this past Tuesday, we talked about cultural appropriation, um, where we basically just analyze the value of black culture um, in comparison to black people mm-hmm. in America and how, you know, one is higher or valued higher than the other, and that's how, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also talked about success within the black community and what that looks like on individual basis because, you know, everyone has their own reality, and so success looks different to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and next week, we are actually going to keep it light, keep it fun, just because for Black History Month, we are going to be doing a lot of heavier topics that will um, require a lot of critical dialogue. And so next week, we're talking about relationships in college. Oh. Relationships, friendships. Um, we'll be diving into how they're developed, how they're maintained. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll even be talking about how social media impacts relationships, modern day relationships and friendships. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you know when Real Talk began? And if you do, like what maybe started it? in this specific community or so i know that it is um fairly new and i'll say fairly new in the past five years i'll say okay um and it was formed because you know as a student of color at a predominantly white institution it's rare that we get those spaces to be heard or Mm -hmm. you know for our opinions to truly be valued and so a couple students got together and said hey you know we need a space to be able to talk and have critical dialogue amongst each other about these different issues that are affecting us Mm -hmm. and you know we went to our director and because she values critical dialogue and you know (laughs) student feedback she's like hey well you guys go ahead and throw it together and you know we've been getting together every Tuesday ever since so that's awesome yeah um, do you have any specific goals for what you'd like to see come from Real Talk? Hmm. <laughs> I know that's I know that's a loaded question a it little is, bit. It is. <laughs> um, so one of the goals that I say that I will have because I'm a senior, I'm mm-hmm. graduating in May, um, and so one of the things that I'll say that I would like to see from Real Talk is just the continuation of students coming together and you know, really being able to have that space to voice how they feel. Um, And I would like for it to be a space that other students on campus who may not identify as black or African-American come into that space to really, you know, listen Mm -hmm. and understand, you know, in order to get rid of, number one, those stereotypes that are, you know, had and just to be able to, you know, connect. I feel like if we had that opportunity or if students actually took the opportunity to get to know each other, mm-hmm. you know, that that would be the start. <laughs> that would be the start. So my goal is just to continue to get the word out and hopefully get more students in that space, pack the whole office out, you know, <laughs> and uh, have those conversations and those dialogues. So do you feel like it's been pretty successful so far, Real Talk? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think this year especially um, it's been successful. And 
I'll say it's been successful in the sense that people are opening up more. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily, you know, how many people are there, but just the fact that when people do come, they are willing to talk and they're willing to open up and actually engage with what we're talking about. And that's the best thing ever as a facilitator when conversation (laughs) flows naturally and you don't have to like awkwardly, uh, okay, so next, (laughs) next question. But yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been pretty amazing this year. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, real quick, where do these uh, sessions take place? Um, They take place in the Black African American Cultural Center, which is in um, LSC 335. And they take place every Tuesday from four to five, just an hour. Um, But a lot of students usually do hang back and continue to talk about the topic, just depending on how, you know, it feels in the in the space. But anyone is welcome to come and engage in conversation cool is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with Mm. (laughs) also a loaded question (laughs) i'll say um be great be great (laughs) i like that change the world all right it's always on the agenda Mm -hmm. um well thank you for coming in um we have this it's next tuesday actually yes um that they will be having another real talk here in the lsc um you can check that out um, anyway, we're going to be go, going on break, but we will be coming back with local news as well as sports, so stay tuned. Uh, you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review, only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Gabe Peterson. I am your co-host for today. I'm joined in studio, as always. Just today. Just today. <laughs> and Tuesday, as opposed to Thursday. But anyways, I'm joined with uh, Julie Badalese, my yep. co-news director and host. Yes. And um, yeah, in studio with us now is J.D. Glayton, our national news correspondent. I've returned. You have returned. And still with us in studio, Raven Color. How you doing, Raven? I'm doing great. Awesome. Well, we are going to start our local and... Uh, Northern Colorado news segment, if you want to uh, start that off for us, Raven. Gotcha. All right. So according to the reporter Herald, Platte River Power Authority announced that it would buy 150 megawatts of electric capacity from a new wind farm, which means that the power wholesaler and its member cities such as Loveland will be getting 48% of their electricity from renewable sources. The Salt Lake City-based company Inyo Renewable Energy is in charge of the project, reported the Herald. The proposed wind farm is to be built along the Colorado-Wyoming border, and the generated power will go towards surrounding cities such as Loveland, Longmont, Fort Collins, and Estes Park. According to the Platte River spokesman, uh, Steve Rolstad, the project should be up and running by 2020, according to Rolstad. Inyo and its brother company, Roundhouse Renewable Energy, still need to receive approval from a variety of regulatory agencies before they can begin building the facility, probably in 2019, according to Christine McKell, a principal for Inyo Renewable Energy. The wind farm is expected to have around 75 turbines, all installed by on ranchers' farms. It will be built uh, on both sides of I-25, and the land will still be grazed by cattle. This wind farm follows suit with a resolution that the city of Longmont passed earlier this month, which will require that cities that the city uh, will receive 50% of their electricity from carbon-free sources by 2020. 
NEO Renewable Energy says Colorado is a great place to put wind turbines. Colorado is so desirable because of strong wind speeds, which allow for consistent power transfer from the turbines. These turbines also bring good news for residents. The cost of power is not expected to increase at all because wind power, the wind power prices are comparable to existing power infrastructure. Uh, and that story was written by Bjorn Larson. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, why don't we send it over to you, JD? <laughs> you can't just say you. There's there's four people we'll in the room. We're sending it over to the listener. By your name. <laughs> but then it's just a mystery at this point. As reported by Pat Ferrier of the Coloradan, an international energy company that provides electricity to rural villages across Asia and Africa is opening its first U.S. headquarters in Fort Collins CSU powerhouse plant. Husk Power Systems is a mix of solar energy, batteries, and biomass gasifier that uses rice husk as fuel, reports Tamara Chuang of the Denver Post. According to Chuang, the decentralized microenergy grid can power 250 to 300 users at a time. The system will work as a sort of utility, and users can plug into the grid when they need some juice. The power plant is estimated to become operationally profitable within the first six months of implementation and will break even on capital cost in six to seven years without any government subsidies. Husk Systems primarily focuses in rural communities and villages in Africa and Asia. And CEO Manaj Shana told the Denver Post, it helps decrease security issues when implemented. Many grid Minigrid provides a very secure way of accessing energy and gives 100% control of, to the community. Maingrid is vulnerable to potential hacking and blackouts. Minigrids are not, Sanal said. Very interesting story. I thought that was cool. Rice husks and... Uh, that's, mm-hmm. yeah. that's wild right That there. is wild, I know. <laughs> like, check it's out the, the stuff future. that we... Yeah, first U.S. <laughs> headquarters in Fort Collins, too. That's, that's quite a feat. I know. I think it was also an international company, which was pretty cool. Yeah, they ha- I think they have their biggest thing is in India right now, mm. so... Anyway, it's going to mean now. Yes, so, it is. <laughs> uh, Governor John Hickenlooper revealed this week that he has a plan to boost the amount of electric cars in the state of Colorado. He described that the vision for Colorado was to have, quote, a network of fast charging stations to alleviate what he called the range anxiety. Governor Hickenlooper's plan appeared to be similar to other states in that it requires, quote, public-private partnerships to build out the state's electric uh, vehicle charging infrastructure, according to Jesse Paul from the Denver Post. Originally, Hickenlooper had mentioned earlier this year that surrounding states were hoping to get a network of electric car charging ports along interstate highways. Paul also reports that Colorado is among the top 10 states in the country for the electric car market and electric vehicles per capita. From Channel 7 News in Denver, Blair Miller reports that Colorado has also predicted that by 2030, between 300,000 to 900,000 electric vehicles will be on the road. Currently, there are only a little over 50 charging stations as of now, but the state could need as many as 550 more ports to get this plan to work. Um, And now we'll send it back over to Gabe for the manhunt in Adams County. Yes. So Jacob Rodriguez of the Coloradoan reports that a manhunt is underway for two suspects in response to an Adams County Sheriff's death. Heath Mudd, the 32-year-old officer, was killed while responding to a call of an assault in progress on the southern edge of Thornton. The Sheriff's Office reports that the suspects fled the scene after deputies arrived on the 8700th block of Dawson Street just before 7 p.m. The Adams County Sheriff's Office says that the suspects are dressed in all black and are either dark-skinned Hispanic men or light-skinned African-American men. 
If you have any information on the case, contact Adams County Sheriff's Office through their website, social media, or by calling them at 720-322-1313. All right. Yeah, and I think we're going to jump right into sports now. Yeah. Yes, we are. Mm -hmm. So the women's basketball (laughs) team, the CSU ladies basketball team is back at home this week uh, for the Mountain West matchups against the San Diego State Aztecs and the New Mexico Lobos. The Rams will debut their CSU State Pride basketball uniforms this Saturday at 2 p.m. against New Mexico. Senior guard Stein Ostgolen is on fire this year, shooting shooting 48% from three-point range. She is currently on pace to break the CSU single-season three-point field goal percentage record. The Rams' defense is also on fire. CSU ranks fourth in the nation in field goal percentage defense, eighth nationally in three-point field goal percentage, and ninth nationally in scoring defense. On to CSU Ultimate Frisbee. Colorado State's men, Hibita Ultimate Frisbee team, opens up their spring season this weekend at the annual Santa Barbara Invite Tournament. After last year's struggles at the national tournament, the team is looking to come out strong. CSU brings back a strong core roster, which includes Player of the Year candidate Cody Spicer, and a fellow seniors, Jake Cervati and Jake Maripode. The team is currently ranked 8th in the nation and looks to improve on that ranking this weekend. CSU Football. Although the football season is over, CSU players and coaches are still making team news. The team has hired Daniel Bush to take over the role of Director of Player Personnel. He has spent the last seven years working in the recruiting department for Arkansas and Alabama. Bush is looking to recruit players with the star power ability of Michael Gallup, who is currently making a big impression on NFL scouts during Senior Bowl practices, which are taking place throughout this week. The verdict is still out there on where Gallup belongs in the NFL draft, however. Pro Football Focus recently predicted Gallup as a first-round selection, number 19 overall to the Dallas Cowboys. Pro Football Focus graded Gallup as the top wide receiver in college football throughout the 2017 season. Other draft analysis slot Gallup in the middle of rounds of sound, in the middle rounds of the seven-round process. Gallup will have a few more chances to impress once this weekend at the Senior Bowl game and another time at the NFL Draft Combine beginning on February 27th. So yeah, sports. Sports. Good stuff. It's <laughs> all a lot to of say good stuff. Uh, well, I think we're going to take a quick break yep. at the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll be coming back with national and global news as well as science from Soches from on campus. So um, Yeah, science! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, JD! <laughs> All right, well, you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Gabe Peterson. I am the co-host here. I am joined alongside my other co-host, Julia Battelise. Mm-hmm. Where's the other one? Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere. And we are joined uh, with J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent. Yep. Yep. And Raven <laughs> Color. We have got to figure out a name for you. 
Reporter. Great. Reporter. 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 Field reporter. Field that reporter. would be that would be a title. That field reporter. Title. She hasn't done any field reporting yet. We'll, okay. Well, we'll figure it out. <laughs> to name and progress. We assign a title, then they have to do it. Exactly. <laughs> Anyways, we are going to move on to national and global news, and I'm actually going to send that right over to you, Raven. Great. An airstrike by a U.S.-led coalition killed 150 ISIS fighters in Syria on Saturday, said coalition spokesman Colonel Ryan Dillon. The U.S.-led coalition to defeat ISIS carried out the airstrike on an ISIS headquarter and command center, where ISIS fighters appeared to be amassing, reported CNN's Ryan Brown. According to Dillon's statement, upwards of a week of surveillance and information from the Syrian Democratic Forces indicated that ISIS fighters were coming together in the Syrian town of As Sifa. Dillon said it appeared as though they were getting ready to move. He also expressed that such a movement is a rare opportunity for a strike. The coalition also determined that the town was exclusively occupied by ISIS and under constant surveillance in order to avoid civilian casualties. The strike was carried out by U.S. Navy F.A. 18 jets and unmanned drones coming from the USS Theodore Roosevelt, which is located in the Arabian Gulf in order to provide air support to the coalition. According to the Wilson Center, the coalition has been carrying out military actions in the fight against the ISIS occupation of Syria since August 2014. However, the commander of the coalition's Special Ops Joint Task Force, Major General James Gerard, said, quote, The strikes underscore our assertion that the fight to liberate Syria is far from over. Tensions in the region have been high as the Turkish military launches operations into Afrin in order to fight the Kurdish-led YPG militia. While the U.S. does not directly back Kurdish fighters, it does back Kurdish elements of the Syrian Democratic Forces. Turkey has called upon the U.S. to end support of what they believe to be Kurdish separatists. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan said in a CNN interview with Christina Anupur that assertions were made by the, or assurances were made by the U.S. to pull its support of Kurdish fighters when ISIS had been defeated. He believed that this agreement had been violated, while U.S. officials say that ISIS is still a threat. All right. Uh, and then I believe it comes over to me now for uh, the tsunami warnings in Alaska. Forecasters canceled tsunami warnings on Tuesday following a giant earthquake off the Gulf of Alaska. This is reported by Madison Park of CNN. The earthquake triggered fears that damaging waves were inbound. However, the alerts for the tsunami were canceled, and according to the National Tsunami Warning Center in Palmer, Alaska, it was because additional information and analysis have, be- have better defined the threat. The tsunami warming center in Palmer, Alaska, also reports that small tsunami waves indeed were reported in Alaska, but were less than a foot. This tiny tsunami was caused by the 7.9 earthquake that struck a little after midnight that night. According to Jill Birkin of the New York Times, the 7.9 magnitude earthquake was reported at about 1231 in Alaska. The authorities reported no immediate reports of fatalities or other damage. Um, This earthquake had been shown in a number of Alaska cities, including Seward and Kodiak. Uh, Park also reports that San Francisco officials warned residents to stay away from coastlines even after the tsunami warnings were canceled. Mid-morning, the San Francisco Department of Emergency Management canceled that as well. 
Tegan Hanlon of Anchorage Daily News reports that a watchstander at the National Tsunami Warning Center in Palmer by the name of Ken McPherson say this particular earthquake was a, quote, strike slip and occurred on what's called a fault deep in the ocean. This particular type of earthquake does not usually lead to big tsunamis like the earthquakes that go along subduction zones. With the earthquakes that go along subduction zones, water can be pushed up more because one plate is rising above another. Birkin also reports that Mayor Pat Branson of Kodiak was worried about the earthquake because, quote, we live in a very prone earthquake and tsunami area, and he was grateful that there wasn't any major natural disaster. I will now be sending it over to J.D. for our final national and global news story about the USA gymnasts and Larry Nasser. Right, yeah. Former USA gymnast Olympic doctor Larry Nassar gets up to 175 years in prison for decades of sexual assault against at least 150 women and girls, reports Eric Levinson of CNN. Nassar, who was once regarded as a leader of the sports medicine field, has now pleaded guilty to seven accounts of criminal sexual conduct. Nassar also admitted to using his medical license to perform sexual acts against his patients under the semblance of medical treatment. The judge presiding over the case, Rosemary Aquilina, said, I've just signed your death warrant. I find that you don't get it, and you're a danger, that you remain a danger. Nassar apologized in court and said, An acceptable apology to all of you is impossible to write and convey. I will carry your words with me for the rest of my days. But following that letter, following that, a letter Nassar had wrote to the court earlier was read aloud, claiming that he had been pressured into pleading guilty by the uh, by the media and the women were lying. Nassar claimed he was a good doctor and that the media had turned his patients against him, to which Judge Aquilina responded with, this tells me you still don't get it. I wouldn't send my dogs to you. <laughs> Nassar has also been found guilty on possession of child pornography, which he will serve a 60-year sentence, as well as three other sexual counts of criminal sexual conduct. Nassar's conduct has opened the door into further investigation into the U.S. Olympic Committee, USA Gymnastics, and Michigan State University, all of whom victims of, victims of Nassar said acted as silencers when they spoke out. The three organizations claimed they did no wrong in the situation and reported the assaults when they found out, although several members of the organizations have stepped down as a result of the backlash. Yeah, yeah the, scumbag. Yeah, that, not a good <laughs> person say, by like any stretch of the imagination. That judge, though, I love it. She, she I has know. a lot of sass. I love it. That's what we needed in judges, though. Yes, it is. Anyways, <laughs> thank you, guys. Uh, that will be the end of our National and Global segment. Uh, now is our tradition. Every Thursday, we're going to start playing a School of uh, Global Environmental Sustainability podcast. And this one is done by Rod Lammers this week. Uh, so, yeah, enjoy. Sustainable news and events, as well as current conservation and sustainability issues from around the globe. Brought to you by the School of Global Environmental Sustainability and 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This week on Sustainable Digest, wild pigs are running amok. Is eating in the answer? Congaree National Park is home to one of the few remaining tracts of floodplain forest in the southeast. I spent a summer there several years ago. As I explore the backcountry, I hope to see any number of wildlife. Otters, snakes, and maybe even an alligator. Instead, I surprisingly stumbled across three little piglets, fast asleep, curled together at the base of a tree. These weren't lost farm animals. They were some of the nearly six million feral hogs that roam free in the United States. 
Feral hogs arrived here in the 1500s with early European expeditions. They are a motley mix of escaped domesticated pigs and wild boar imported for sport hunting. Like domestic pigs, feral hogs are extremely intelligent, voraciously hungry, and wildly fertile. This combination makes them very destructive and very hard to control. The U.S. Department of Agriculture estimates that annually, management and damage due to feral hogs costs us $1.5 billion. These invasive hogs destroy crops, dig up soil in search of food, and can transmit diseases to livestock, wildlife, and even humans. For the last several decades, state and federal agencies have tried to limit the spread of feral hogs, but with mixed results. Feral hogs are now established in at least 35 states. The largest populations are in the south, especially in Texas, where about one-third of the animals live. The problem in Texas is so bad, they have resorted to poisoning the hogs. But not everyone is on board with this approach. Poison-laced food can easily be eaten by anything, including pets. Recently, officials announced a new approach, using a poison trap specifically designed for hogs that is less attractive to other animals. Another approach to controlling feral hogs is hunting. While hunting feral pigs is allowed and even encouraged in many states, it may not be enough. Experts estimate that 70% of the pigs have to be killed every year just to keep the population from increasing. Still, many environmental groups see hunting as an attractive method of controlling feral hogs. There is a growing trend to, quote, eat the invaders, encouraging people to dine on these destructive creatures. Biologist Joe Roman has even created a website, eattheinvaders.org, providing recipes for various invasive-based dishes. As one commenter said, for once, the solution is bacon. While this is a step in the right direction, we may not be able to eat our way out of this problem. Still, this culinary approach increases awareness of invasive species issues and gives people a chance to be a part of the solution. Next week's local sustainability events hosted by the School of Global Environmental Sustainability. On Monday the 29th, Gabe Wing will discuss his work developing the sustainability program at the furniture company Herman Miller. The talk will be from 5.30 to 7 in the Bohemian Auditorium in Rockwell Hall on CSU's campus. On Thursday, Sojus is hosting a panel discussion on how urban green spaces affect community well-being. The event starts at 4 at Avogadro's Number. Thank you for listening to this week's Sustainable Digest. This podcast can be heard every Thursday afternoon on the Rocky Mountain Review, every Friday afternoon at 3 p.m., as well as on kcsufm.com. This podcast was produced by Rod Lammers and brought to you by the School of Global Environmental Sustainability at Colorado State University. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rod. Thank you, uh, the School of Global Environmental Sustainability. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are joined in studio now with our uh, new podcast director, Cheyenne Duba. How you doing, Cheyenne? I'm doing well. Good Con- to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> of course. Well, congrats on the uh, new position. Thanks. I'm stoked about it. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, Cheyenne is on today because she is going to take us into our music segment. So, uh, Cheyenne, why don't you take that away? Okay, cool. So, um... K-Flay recently released the deluxe version of Everywhere is Somewhere. So pretty much what uh, she did that was new with that is she reimagined five of the tracks off of the original album with a full orchestra, horns, strings. Um, It was really cool because some of the instrumentals that were originally done with like electronic music, she 
they like re-recorded it with string instruments for example high enough is on there mm. um yeah so the original album features the sig- single blood in the cut which received a grammy nomination for best rock song i thought that was super awesome because um i bought tickets to her show for her denver tour date um but they actually had to postpone mm-hmm the show until May 5th and I was like what because she received a Grammy like she was uh, or not received a Grammy a nomination but she was just really surprised by it herself but I just think it's awesome how she came up so fast and so she had, to, for her, she had to postpone because of her nomination because yeah because yeah. the nomination oh, was so, so unexpected like, oh, yeah okay. so I know I'm so excited for her yeah I, <laughs> I am too Giddy. yeah I just yeah, I just bit. like uh her personality that she shows through the album like you can just see it like either through the unique mix of like the electronic instrumentals mm. with the non-electronic instrumentals, <laughs> <laughs> whatever that's called, and then uh, just her lyrics too are just so politically charged. She has a song on there that's called "The President Has a Sex Tape." Yep. Uh, the original album was released a few months into Trump's presidency, so mm-hmm. I just I think, <laughs> I think she's a really cool person. People will sometimes like get on her case on her Facebook page for her being like too political because some of the shirts that she has for her merch mm. like. Do have political statements on there, but I feel like being a musician, that's a platform yeah, to artist, share your absolutely. political opinion. So for sure, yeah, she's she's awesome. She I yeah, awesome. I know what shirt you're talking about. It's the immigrants welcome one, right? Mm-hmm. She's always posting photos yeah. in that one. Yeah. So um, what is her name again? K Flay. K dot Flay. K dot Flay. I feel like I've yeah. I feel like I've you've probably seen her. Definitely, I know that probably. Her, yeah, yeah. Blood for in the sure cut talked about her on here. NFL <laughs> had like Blood in the Cut featured mm. on like one of their advertisements or something. Oh, okay. You know what was cool too? If you watch uh Bojack Horseman, she actually got Blood in the Cut, I think, on one of the episodes. Oh Bojack. which like surprised me because I was in the middle of watching it and I was like, I know this song. Why do I, I know, know this, this song? song. Yeah. <laughs> like I yeah. suddenly have the urge to dance and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what's happening i'm excited for her to get big enough so that she headlines red rocks at some point near in the future because she's been like selling out when she plays at the marquee or just like any local think, venues like she i feel like she could sell that out sometime really soon like she's coming to denver and i think it's already sold out yeah it is actually. already sold out yeah well then this that's a sign tickets. for red rocks mm-hmm. to get I know. yeah i got tickets let me know if you get <laughs> sick <laughs> i'll let you know if i get sick girl <laughs> Um, anyway, well, I think that's going to wrap up the music segment. Thank you so much, Cheyenne, for coming on. Um, we'll be coming back here in just a second with Dylan Simonson for the weed segment. And Pot then we'll... talks. Pot talks. Okay. <laughs> and then, uh, then we got weather, of course. Yes. And then we'll be signing off. Okay. <laughs> All right. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Gabe Peterson, one of two co-hosts here. Uh, I'm joined in studio with Julia Badalise. Yep. 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 yep, yep. Uh, joining us now in studio is Dylan Simonson. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me again. Yep. Good Good to be back. How was your break? You know, it was great. How about you guys? It was awesome. It was awesome. Not long enough, though. Yeah, Anyways, still seems... joined with us in studio is J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent. I would never miss a pot talk. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> and uh, Raven, this is your first pot talk. How uh, How you feeling? 
Oh, I'm excited. Okay, good. <laughs> so uh, we were talking the other day, uh, Dylan, we were kind of talking about um, Vermont and their um, kind of obscure approach to the new legalization uh, in uh, that state. So if you want to take yeah. it away. So Vermont has lived up to their name of Green Mountain State as of this year by being the first state to legalize recreational marijuana possession and use by legislation and not by a majority vote at the ballot box. Uh, this makes Vermont the ninth state to legalize recreational marijuana, plus Washington, D.C. This is in thanks to a pen stroke of Vermont's governor, Phil Scott. There is something a little different about Vermont's legalization, though, besides the way it was passed. Um, as of right now, there is no plan for retail marijuana sales, according to Huffington Post, even though the law goes into effect July 1st. <clears throat> um, as great as legalization is, I personally can see a few problems with this. According to The Hill, Governor Scott said that he would have vetoed the bill if it had a section establishing legal sales of marijuana. This means that marijuana is still ran on the black market, or in this case, it's more of a gray market. Um, adults are allowed to grow their own marijuana, according to Forbes, but the truth of the matter is the majority of the users can't, don't know how, or just don't want to grow their own. This leads to more black market sales, which are unregulated in every way. Uh, the state now can't collect taxes on marijuana, which generated over $245,000 in tax revenue for Colorado in 2017, according to the state website. That's a lot of money it's missing out on that could be, provide for the poor, help improve schools, you know, anything. Uh, the product itself, therefore, isn't regulated either, and people can still be getting ripped off by being sold product that isn't marijuana, you know, it's oregano or something, or worse, by getting some <laughs> <laughs> marijuana with a much more addictive and harmful drug mixed into it, which isn't likely, but it's still a risk. Um, this also basically makes it legal for cartel and other gangs to operate legally to, you know, sort of a degree. Um, and all of these things could potentially be dangerous to the future of marijuana legalization. But due to continued increased support in marijuana use, that seems unlikely in the long call. According to CVS News' uh, yearly survey, 61% of Americans asked think marijuana should be legalized, which is up five points from last year, and 88% support medical marijuana use. Uh, this is the highest level of support that we've seen, and it means great things for the marijuana community, and hopefully soon we'll see nationwide legalization with or without support from the federal government. Such a weird way that they did it. Because, yeah. like, right here, according to Vice News, you know, he says, um, uh, Scott said he wouldn't even consider allowing sales until he sees concrete plans to mm -hmm. address his concerns. Well, how about you look to a few other states that have done Ex it, right? Exactly. You know, and especially, um, like, Vermont, it's not like it's a huge population, mm -hmm. and it's kind of, I feel like it would be more easily regulated there than it would be in Denver. Yeah, you would think so. And then, you know, there's also the aspects um, that with no legal sales, how, you know, besides the black market and growing, how are these people going to be able to get their products? They exactly. They just aren't. Um, they are looking to have a plan for legal sales by the end of 2018, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, it's, that's, I mean, if you're allowed to just walk around with an ounce of weed, do you have to, like, say where you got it from? I mean, it just kind of yeah. like, opens up the door to just kind of... Have a have you know an ounce on you every day and just sell it mm, exactly and that's the thing. Does it now make those black market sales legal? Like yeah, you know. And it um, says that uh, you can have two plants. I believe that you can plant. Yeah, your own two house. Uh, mature plants and yeah. I believe four immature plants. Yep. Um, so you know that's similar to what we have out here. But uh, like I said, you know a lot marijuana is a harder plant to grow than you know like your typical other flowers Absolutely. that you 
have lying around the house. So, you know, a lot of people don't know how, they aren't going to do it right. Um, and it's not going to be good products that they can use. So, I mean, like right here, uh, Eli Harrington, the co-founder of Petty Vermont, a marijuana-focused news and event company, uh, they're, they're hosting a seed swap, like in a, in a barn. So you can just go buy You can go there and buy seeds. And, like, who's to say, like, are they taking account of how many seeds you're buying? Mm-hmm. And it's just it's a confusing thing to me because I just don't understand why they're the first state to sign it into legislation without really having a bill for it or yeah, anything. Yeah, it's not but well they don't regulated. Have, it's, yeah, they have no regulation whatsoever. Yeah, and I think that can pose a big problem for them um, in the future. It, they honestly, we might see them be the first state to uh, take back recreational marijuana because of their lack of regulations, and um, that could have you know, a detrimental effect on their state. And I mean, do you think it could have a detrimental effect on Colorado, per se? Like, if, uh, they, if they can't regulate it and people see, like, oh, maybe weed can't be handled by states, are, th- are we going to get it repealed here? I, I don't think that it would go that far. You know, we've been one of the more responsible states with it, you know, even more so than California, in my personal opinion. Um, but that's because I have personal accounts and friends who have bought uh, legal retail marijuana illegally plenty of times there. Um, cause it's just, they don't regulate as well. They don't follow the laws as well, um, as we do here for the most part. Um, so I don't think that we will see a repeal here. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting story. Don't, uh, Maine and, uh, I just saw like Maine and New Hampshire or something have a similar process where it's, it's recreationally legal, but you can't, there's no pot stores anywhere, but you can buy it. Um, you know, I don't know that off the top of my head. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, a lot of states that do legalize, it takes them, you know, six months to a year, year and a half to officially uh, decide um, how they're going to set up retail marijuana and, like, put it into effect. But most states, it's not officially actually legal until those sales start, mm-hmm. whereas this, it's going to be legal before sales start. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting story. Um, well, thank you, Dylan. I appreciate no it. No problem. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Anybody else got any follow-up questions? Isn't Vermont where they make Ben and Jerry's? Yes. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it, it definitely so is. Good that, question. That's Good a question. great you know, opportunity for <laughs> Maybe them. that's why. Abuse of Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, uh, Dylan, thank you very much. Awesome. Uh, Thanks for having it. me again, yeah. guys. And uh, we will be coming back here in just a second. Oh, unless you want to do weather now. Do we want to make them wait? We'll be back mm. in a second. We'll be back in a second with uh, weather, and we'll be signing off right then. Um, stay tuned. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review, only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. We are Fast Luck, and the only thing dumber than our name is our music. And you're listening to 90.5 KCSU-FM. Hello, and welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am your co-host, Gabe Peterson. I'm joined with my co-host, Julia Badalese. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep uh, making fun of you until you it's all right. my get gra- it right. My grammar will get there one day. Uh, still in the <laughs> studio, we have uh, Dylan Simonson still. Hello. Hello. We have J.D. Layton. I'm always here. And Raven Color. I'm still here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, catchphrases. So we are towards... <laughs> We are towards the uh, end of our show, so I suppose that means that uh, weather is going to be 
Had. our final segment. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Do yes, tell us, yes. meteorologist. Well, Dick I Peterson. will tell you that uh, today's almost over, and if you don't know what the weather is, then that's on you. But anyways, <laughs> no, no precipitation tonight, so that's good. Uh, Friday, tomorrow, it's going to be a high of 40, low of 17. It's going to be another chilly day, but it's going to be sunny the Ooh. entire day. So still sweater weather, but kind of, you know, you can soak up that sunshine, I suppose. It just means that, like, you'll bring out your, your big jacket in the morning, and then later you'll realize that you're you'll sweating. You'll regret it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can put your sunglasses on, I suppose, as you walk through walk through uh, campus. It's great. You have a sweater, then you have a beanie over it. Yeah. <laughs> when you're cool, it's always sunny. It's you, always he sunny He wasn't there for that, but you suck. Continue. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, JD. Um, yeah, this weekend, it looks like it's going to be kind of the same. It's going to be high of 39 on Saturday, low of 24, and a high of 47 on Sunday with a low of 23. Kind of cloudy, but uh, overall, it looks like it's going to be a good couple of rest of the days. Yeah, so, rest of the days. Rest of the days. Um, if you yeah. only go till Sunday. And then, then the world done. ends. <laughs> and then the world ends. <laughs> the exactly. rest of the days. Exactly. Well, uh, thank you guys for <laughs> listening today. Uh, we are the Rocky Mountain Review. Yeah. Uh, we air every Tuesday, Thursday from 4 to 5. And I will see you next Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, thank you again for all of our reporters who do a lot of the writing, stuff like that. Um, thank you for Raven Color for coming on today. First time on air with us. Um, you can say thank you if you want. I don't know. <laughs> You're I, welcome. I, I, left, I left a little bit of air. <laughs> and uh, J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent, thank you for coming on. Um, and uh, thank you Dylan, Dylan Simonson for coming on for the weed segment. Thank you, uh, Cheyenne, for the music yes, segment. Yes. Thank you, Cheyenne. Uh, thank you, myself. I am Julia Vettelise. <laughs> thank you, myself. Uh, <laughs> one quick, one, you did it. One more quick thank you to uh, Rod Lammers and the School of Global Environmental Sustainability. Oh, yeah. 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 And myself, Gabe Peterson. <laughs> See, I thought you were going to be selfless right there and just be like, I don't need well, to thank Julia me. Well, Julia did it. I, I, Julia's doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we will be back on Tuesday at 4 p.m. And we hope to have you all there. Yeah. You've been listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.